0: Welcome to the Possibility Podcast with Sarah Knight. This is session three, talking the psychology of climate change with psychoanalyst, family therapist, lecturer, and researcher, Professor Bonnie Harnden. Hi there, and welcome to another Possibility Podcast, uh, where we are looking at hope and possibility and reality in times of climate crisis. And today I have with me Bonnie Harnden. Um, I had the good fortune of coming across uh, Bonnie at a Christmas party of all places and somehow just found my way directly towards where she was standing and locked into conversation with her and an hour later kind of surfaced and thought, I need to talk to this woman some more. Um, Bonnie is a professor at Concordia University she's a family therapist a drama therapist and a psychoanalyst Um, and so today we are going to be talking about climate change and how that's impacting our state of being so thank you so much for joining me Bonnie
1: I'm so happy to be here
0: first of all can you tell me a little bit about your position um, and what you're feeling personally at the moment in regards to what's going on in the environment
1: Mhm mm-hmm. yeah, I mean I think I you know I was thinking about sitting with some patients last week that were talking i 'm a psychotherapist also in private practice, along as a professor, and it's amazing how it comes up over time in different people in a therapeutic process. There are fears and anxieties and hopes about about climate change um, and also in, in my own life, with my own partner also who's also a psychologist we talk about it a lot and it's something that I, I think I hold in my awareness every day. I'm always thinking about it. It's always on my mind. I'm always, you know, there's always this low level dread that, that is present to a certain extent. And then also hope and joy and appreciation for the natural world. And, and, you know, really a certain amount of faith that, that there, we're moving in a certain direction and that there is change happening and there are, you know, other possibilities and hopeful possibilities that, that are arriving within us and within communities um, and then hopefully in our leadership, you know, I'm, I'm very aware about, it. I talk about it with students and teaching, it comes up um, and it's just something that, that is, is around me all the time. Yeah. I think we started our conversation almost
0: immediately talking yeah. about that, about how these two things they seem that they shouldn't be able to exist together. This feeling of dread and of impending doom and of, of deep fear, you know, depending yeah. on what information you're dipping in and yeah. in, in and out of, yeah. alongside that the the joy of living and being present in the moment and, mm-hmm. and celebrating where you're at and feeling yes. and feeling hope and having faith yes. and exactly. How, as human beings, are we able to do that? So how can we have this awareness of what's happening in the world and the fact that it's very, very, very serious Mm -hmm. and still keep going about our daily business?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think it's very much related to the nervous system. And it's something I think about and teach and talk about with patients a lot that you know, that there's something happening that's very scary. There's this happening on the one hand, but there's also this happening on the other hand. And it's a little bit like the two sides of our nervous system, right? Like when, when we're activated, uh, we go into a state of more of a sympathetic charge, right? We go, We start heading towards fight, flight, freeze, right? Um, and we can be doing that at a very low level and we can be doing that at a very big level, right? Like if you and I were running right now from a fire, we would go, our muscles would tense, our heart would start racing. There'd be a ton of blood flow, um, all organized around survival and escape. Or we're meant to do that. Our bodies are built to do this. This is how we've survived forever. And we would run, we'd run out of the building, we'd be connected to each other, hopefully. and everything would be mobilized towards survival. And when we do that, we go into this state, it's called energy conservation mode, where we're not thinking about our life or reflecting. And digestion also gets turned off at these higher levels. The body goes, I'm going to put all of my energy into survival. So, we go into a high activated state, we survive, and then our nervous system comes down into a more what we call a parasympathetic or a deactivated state. If we got out of the building, we started laughing, our hearts would settle down. We realized it wasn't a fire. Maybe it was someone doing, I don't know, some kind of performance art. We were wrong. We're like looking at, we're connecting. So, there's all kinds of what we call ventral vagal online, and our nervous systems would go into a deactivated state. And part of what I want to talk about today, and I think that is so important when we think about climate change and trauma and the environment, is that a lot of the time we're living in a very sympathetic, hypervigilant, activated state. Um, and I think it's a huge problem in our world today because we're all under such enormous stress and we all have a certain amount of trauma in our bodies from just being a human in the world. And we're also carrying intergenerational historical trauma through the generations and that's showing up more in epigenetic studies and all kinds of information. And I think when we are, you know, if you think about the nervous system, we're really meant to go into sympathetic and then out of sympathetic. We need these like natural pendulations all day. Even when we take an in-breath, there's a bit of a sympathetic rise and an out-breath. So you're doing it right now, (laughs) having a nice parasympathetic breath. And that's normal, right? If we climb the stairs, if there's a bit of stress in traffic, we need our sympathetic to come online to help us. But we also need to deeply be in parasympathetic and part of the problem is is that people don't fully come down into deactivated states they stay in more these activated fight flight freeze states because of trauma and because our lives are very very stressful you know and in those states we're a little bit in energy conservation mode right we're not thinking about the planet how to make things better our relationships we're much more in survival mode and i think Many, many families across the country live in survival mode. And we could talk a little, I'll talk a little bit more about trauma and why we get so stuck there, but we're going to be much more likely to consume and not think about the planet in those higher survival states. Yes, 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 yes. So I just want to, So
0: you said a few things that I want to make sure that I understand. So first of all, um, those two states exist within our being and they're meant to be in flux, kind of almost like they're on a teeter-totter. So this idea that we can actually hold space for both at the same time, that our systems can be in high alert and we can also be in processing mode where we're taking things in, we're experiencing joy, we're digesting our
1: food. Exactly. It's like falsehood. Right. And I'm going to talk about how we can make ourselves be more in parasympathetic, like how we can be more intentional and mindful about being in a more of a parasympathetic deactivated or dorsal state. Um, And we're going to kind of be talking about the nervous system in these Reader Digest kind of ways to make it clear. But we're really trying to think about how can we create sustainability in our own nervous systems. Because we talk so much about sustainability in the world and in the climate and the planet, but we also need to think about how can our lives themselves be sustainable? Are we living sustainably within? Are we managing our time and our stress and bringing ourselves into states? You know, we were talking about the Mary Oliver poem, Wild Geese, before we started. And um, that, that's a beautiful poem. And at one point she says, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Yes. You know, and then she talks about that we are like the wild geese, that we belong, part of everything. And I think that building those spaces where we are very much in touch with our bodies with settling our nervous systems, with letting ourselves love what we love and feel a sense of belonging. And I'm going to talk about the awe and gratitude research, which really points Mm -hmm. to that in a few minutes, but that we need to be bringing our systems more and more into those states, healing for us. And they take us out of these high activated fight flight free states, which we need to a certain extent, but we can't, we shouldn't be living our lives there in those states, we're just barely, we're functioning,
0: we're getting by, like, just about, we're almost drowning, we're kind of on the surface, we can't think about, like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't buy these apples, because they're packaged in cellophane, or maybe I should put a sweater on and turn the heat down, or we're just thinking about how to get by, so that was your point that you made a few minutes ago, about in those states, we're more likely to just carry on that well-traveled pathway, okay, I don't know, maybe I could do other things, but I just got to keep going down this road. Just keep right. doing things exactly the way I'm doing them. I cannot think about anything else right now.
1: Right. In those high activated states, because the body is in energy conservation mode, we're not in an expanded state. And to learn and to reflect, we need to be in a bit more of a mixed state. We need to have a bit of sympathetic online and a bit of parasympathetic online. And and what happens is when children or, and adults as well have had a lot of trauma. The vagus nerve in their spine, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the vagus nerve because it's a really, really important nerve. The vagus nerve, it's, it's basically the one of the biggest nerves in our body, and it extends down our back, um, and that's called the dorsal vagus, and then there's a ventral section that comes up through our chest and is activated through eye contact. And when pe- children have a lot, so the vagus nerve basically tells the parasympathetic, turn on, you're safe. You don't need to worry right now. And we all want to have a vagus nerve that works well. It's called a high-tone vagus nerve. Now, when people have had a lot of trauma and their nervous system has had to repeatedly come on, so children, right, they've had a lot of trauma, you know, there's a lot of family violence, a lot of deprivation, their vagus nerve has had to turn on Uh, has had their sympathetic has come on a lot. Can I ask you a question there though too, actually, because
0: it's also, I mean, people that are listening can't see the hand motions that you're doing. Right. Some of that, when you're talking about trauma within children, so there's the obvious trauma that, that that children can go through in dysfunctional families. But is there the trauma too that video game stimulation and social exactly. media and, you know, yeah. just the motions that you're doing, there seem to be almost any trauma, even the minor ones that are pulling people into some kind of a, a ramped up out of present state.
1: You're making an excellent point that we live in a very high stimulus world, that families don't have a ton of time to what, to go into what we call rest, digest, replenish. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, that there's so much stimulation. So we can have a certain amount of trauma, but there's also a lot of stimulation and again, historical trauma that we're carrying in our bodies. And if we're continually going into sympathetic, the vagus nerve goes into what's called low tone vagus, where it's not turning on the parasympathetic system enough so we were remaining in these highly activated states because our bodies are just so used to doing that and you need to have a certain amount of parasympathetic on and that's a more of an expansive deactivated state to learn right to think and reflect and to be to be present and so children that are super traumatized are sitting in class trying to learn the times tables and they they're trying to learn while being super agitated or in sympathetic, right? And so we need these lower, these deactivated, more expansive states to help us learn and reflect and be present. And when we're in these deactivated states, we have a much more broader perception. Literally, our perception expands. When we're in sympathetic, there's a narrowing of perception because everything is about escape right survival so there's literally this narrowing and hyper focus Mm -hmm. around survival when we're in a deactivated connected state our perception widens and we can learn we can connect with others we can be we can appreciate our environment we can let Mm -hmm. the soft animal of our bodies love what they love and we can feel much more in a state of belonging Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. so there's things that we need to do especially with healing the planet and healing our bodies to bring us more into these deactivated, expansive states.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so... To summarize what you said, we've got these two states, and it's the parasympathetic state that helps us learn, that helps us absorb information, that helps us take in information, nutrition, new experiences, connections, Right. the vagus nerve that helps to support the activation of the parasympathetic state. That's right.
1: That's right. It's it's super complex, but that's one thing that it does. Got it. it. Right. And it's attached to pretty much every major organ in our body. That okay. Use.
0: Wonderful. So you, and you have some, like how we can get there more often. We can actually train our bodies. So if you have ended up in a low state, vagus nerve. Like
1: a low tone vagal. Low
0: exactly. tone. Right, so. right, 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 right. You can actually train the system to raise that back up to the high tone.
1: That's right. So there's okay. this there's a be- there's a beautiful study I'll talk about in a few minutes that really shows how that would well, they actually show that the vagal tone increased. People went into a higher vagal tone mm. by simply doing these activities. We're really thinking about how can we heal the planet and how can we heal our n- own nervous systems and to think about how there's there's an inter I mean You know, we talk a lot about the interconnection of all of these things, but I really believe that these things are completely interconnected.
0: Completely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, I think what's happening in the earth is a, is a direct reflection of what's happening in our inner environment. What's That's happening great. inside of us. Yes, yeah. right in line with what I see it in my own practice, um, you know, highly if traumatized, yes, from personal history and from unresolved family trauma, but just from day to day life, mm-hmm. and asking now people to engage with this incredibly huge challenge of climate change. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about one of my students said to me a few years ago um, we were talking about the World Trade Center's falling and CNN and she said, you know, my she was she was she said my generation is a traumatized generation. Mm. You know, that just by watching images on the news that are traumatic over and over again we're we're traumatized. You know, and it really it really stayed with me and you know, the work that I've been doing the last few years has really been around trauma, um, I worked in the emergency at the Children's Hospital for, for several years on an emergency follow-up team that followed kids entering the ER in crisis, and then worked with them and their families over time and then referred them into community resources. Um, and I was really struck by that work, by, by how so much of what these kids, you know, the kids would enter the ER with all kinds of different sy- symptoms, um, different presenting issues, but how much it, it really related back to family trauma and a connection and attachment um, and what was going on in their family lives and what their parents were going through. And I, I really was very struck by that. And I wrote a play about those experiences that, uh, that really kind of combined research and a story to kind of teach clinicians and students about the effects of trauma And we toured it for a number of years. We're just finishing a film about that play. Um, And it was very powerful to sit with a lot of frontline clinicians and talk about their own traumatic experiences and then working with people that are traumatized. And because, again, everyone has a certain amount of trauma in their bodies. And so from that work of of writing that play and showing it and really focusing on the effects of trauma on our nervous systems, on our development throughout the lifespan, I really became interested, okay, how can we create, what What are the healing protective factors that can build our resilience so that we can survive traumatic experiences and also build sustainable lives? And so, and I've been very interested in helping frontline clinicians because there's so much burnout um, in our clinicians that are working in these frontline settings with families and kids, you know, that are really often underpaid. They're working in very overwhelmed systems. Um, and many of the students that I train at the university go on and get these amazing but frontline jobs working with with kids that are are, are living very, very complex um, situations with their families. So, I began to read a lot about the awe and gratitude research that was coming out I was very moved by it and started to kind of incorporate it into my own life and then into my work clinically. And then now I'm creating a research project around that, that work um, that I'll talk about, but the research, I'll, and maybe I'll talk first about the research on awe and then yeah. I'll t- the research on gratitude.
0: Before you go on again, it's I want to make sure that I got your last point. So, you know, you're talking about working with young people who come from highly traumatized backgrounds. And it, I mean, what it sounds like you're saying, if I relate it to again, how information is coming out about climate change, and what we need to be absorbing, and what we are the things we need to be taking action on, is that there's a way that that can be communicated to relatively untraumatized people and I put that in quotation marks because yeah. as you said in modern, we all have trauma because of the way that we live, but relatively speaking. So right. there's one way of communicating to that group of people and a whole other set of things that have to be considered when you're communicating to traumatized people. Is-
1: I guess it's more that I see it as a continuum. So right. even with us showing this play and talking about trauma and the research one of the things I was very touched by is that people that were very traumatized related, but people that also had, you know, what we would call less trauma also related, you know, that, that we're, you know, we're really trying to think about how, you know, all of us again, have a certain amount of trauma and how can we heal from trauma, move into these more deactivated states so that we take care of our bodies, our families and the environment. Right, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's this interconnection. It's a, it's a giant circle, right? Um, whether it's from, it's it's healing from severe trauma to more mild trauma, that how can we help support a more calmer nervous system that can enjoy the world? Basically, when we love something, we're going to take care of it, right? And when we we move into these more um, deactivated healing states we're going to be more connected to ourselves and we're going to make better choices about what we buy about how we consume And also what's so profound about the research is that when we are more in touch with states, one of the things I found so beautiful about the awe research in particular is that it creates this state we call the small self-state. So when we're looking at a beautiful, like the Grand Canyon or a beautiful scene or listening to a beautiful piece of music or a, a beautiful piece of art and we feel awe, and awe is basically the combination of wonder and amazement, It promotes in us the state called the small self state, which is actually a very, very good thing. The small in the small self state, we feel less entitled. We feel more of a connection with others. We basically move from a state of me to we, we feel like the world, I am small and the world is vast and I belong, I belong. Mm Mm. And in that state, one of the things that's so amazing, there's so much research coming out about entitlement, and they're showing that entitlement is very, there's a, there's a lot of depression and anxiety mm. correlated with a sense of entitlement, right? Which, which is fascinating right? And the less entitled we feel and the more connected to our ordinariness, that's actually a very, very good thing that when people are in a more of a small self-state, they show more pro-social behavior. They're more altruistic. And what's so beautiful about AWE is that it also, out of all the, the research on positive emotions, it regulates this ketone in our body called interleukin-6. There was this really beautiful study I was reading. Um, and interleukin-6 is a pro-inflammatory ketone. So it basically helps. So when, we're, when the body is injured, it says, turn on inflammation. You need some inflammation to heal. And then when healing is happening, it tells inflammation to turn off. Now, what can happen as we age is that interleukin-6 can become deregulated. It doesn't, and and inflammation is a huge problem in our body. It's basically related to so many disease processes. And when we experience awe, it regulates interleukin-6, which is kind of powerful. Fascinating. Wow. Changes our physiology for the better. And what they've shown is that some of us are dispositionally able to experience awe. So some of us you'll put it in front of a beautiful painting and we'll be like, that's amazing. And others of us are more skeptical about experiences of awe. But the research seems to be showing that we can be coached to take in beauty and awe experiences more deeply. And one of my favorite studies that came out of um, on the Berkeley campus that was so beautiful is they had a cohort look at a building, and they had another cohort look at a giant eucalyptus tree. And the building and the tree were the same height. So one group, and this was replicated numerous times, looked up at a tree, this one of these trees for one minute. Another group looked up at the side of a building, the same height, for one minute. And then on the way back, as, as the researcher was getting everyone back on the bus, to go back to the main research center, the researcher accidentally dropped their pens. And then in the, in the tree group, everyone helped pick up the pens, but in the building group, everyone was like, "Oh, they'll be okay." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you know this wasn't I'm sure there were some people in the building group that did help pick up the pens, but they just showed that there was a much higher rate of immediate pro-social behavior in the tree group.
0: So are you talking because the people in the tree group looked up, touched on that <clears throat> place of awe, which to me has always been my wow, like that place. So it touched on that place.
1: Have, you definitely have dispositional awe. Oh,
0: yeah, like it's uh, <laughs> through the roof, the things I can wow at. I'm telling you.
1: But it is. It is
0: right. a It's a cult. It is a cultivated practice. The more I wow, the more I exactly. wow. Exactly. So the, the, the young people that were the students that were looking at the tree got into that awe state. Came out of it more disposition towards helping others, being more compassionate, that small state that you were referring to. Is that right? They
1: were immediately in that state. Remember I said, basically awe and gratitude, which I'll talk about in a minute, helps us move from a state of me to we, right? It's immediate. And it was immediately there. I wasn't just concerned with my own self. I suddenly felt more of a belonging and a responsibility for the other.
0: But Bonnie, this is huge. I mean, what you're saying is if it happens immediately, that all it takes when you're trying to get this important information across and this place of we need to take action, we need to work together, is just find some way to get people to that wow place.
1: Exactly. And one, one of the biggest things is people need to be spending more time in nature. Yes. You know, because that's, a huge part of where it lives. Yes. A huge part of where it
0: lives. You know, I was, I was telling this story. I gave a talk last week at the Kingston Climate Change Symposium and I, was, I decided to tell a few stories in it, but I was reminded of, I've cultivated that wow in my son. I mean, kids are born with it. And so encouraged him to keep it up. And because of that, he's encouraged me to keep mine up. So we've really worked together, you know, because I've been willing to wow with him when he wows and vice versa. And when when he was little, I remember him shouting kind of, it almost sounded sort of frantically. He was about five years old into the backyard for me to come. And I didn't know what was wrong. I thought there was a problem, ran outside. And he was on the, he was crouched down on the grass in utter awe while he looked at a snail whenever I want to feel that feeling of wow, I'm reminded it doesn't have to be a huge eucalyptus tree. It doesn't right. have to be a mind-blowing mountain scene right. or like a crystal blue lake. You just right. put your attention on one incredible right. aspect of nature's creation and the wow is right there.
1: Exactly. It's that ordinary magic. Yeah. And it's right here. All We all have access to it. We just mm. need to retrain our eyes to yeah. see We need to retrain our eyes to take it in.
0: We need to retrain our eyes to take it in.
1: Exactly.
0: beautiful. So how do we do that?
1: Well, I I have a lot of ideas about that. I've been thinking about that a lot. And we're developing this new kind of, my students and I have been developing this new um, method of kind of disseminating this research where we're kind of combining story and storytelling and then experiential exercises. And we're actually gonna be touring it to different um, therapeutic communities and hospital settings um, in the spring of this year and then next year to kind of show people how they can land this research. And I'll give you some tools now in their bodies and really actively train their minds to take in these moments of beauty. Because it's really, again, retraining our minds to see it and hang out with it and notice it and let our nervous system settle. And you can tell your nervous system is settling into more of a deactivated, expansive state. When you take a deep breath, your perception widens, you can tell that you're more here. And and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the gratitude research now and the vagus nerve. Um, and And then also the idea that this isn't about moving away from suffering and sadness. This mm-hmm. is about being more present for it, actually. Yes. The more we are able to deactivate from these higher sympathetic states, the more we can be in touch and, and stay present for, for suffering, for sadness, for each other right because in those higher states we're not we're not as present we're not able we're we're suffering but we're but there's a part of us that's not observing and connected to ourselves and to our whole unfolding experience and in these more combination states of sympathetic parasympathetic when our nervous system is in a more healed and healthy state we can also stay present for our lives. And we do go through huge things in our lives that we need to live and process and grieve and feel oh, and stay present for.
0: I love what you're saying. This is beautiful. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a lot of what I work people on is just helping that energy to move. It's the bottling up that causes the pain. It's when we're right. not present and we don't allow for that, the suffering that on some level we have taken in, like we have exactly. ingested it. We've taken it in. We're just oh, not it. processing it. Exactly. So this is what you're talking Talking about the exactly. importance of it allows us to be more present to the experiences and don't delude ourselves like we actually sorry this is actually hard that was really really awful what happened you're exactly. just not feeling it so letting exactly. the tears flow letting things move
1: exactly exactly Wonderful. and and honestly the more in touch we are with good the more we can stay present for the harder thing yeah they really work together yeah
0: Beautiful, beautiful. So can I go, I just want, I know I want to ask you or get give you space, time also to talk about the gratitude work, but you were talking about retraining our eyes to take in the beauty of things. So I don't know, did I, did I miss something there? Do you have any practical tips as to how we actually do it? Or is it just a practice in being present?
1: Well, one of the things that I, I tell patients and I tell students do, so I do this at the beginning of every class with my students. It's kind of like our, our warm-up to class, and then I, I encourage them to do it outside of class because I'm training people to become therapists. And so one of the things that I really talk to them a lot about is we are going to build our observer we're going to build our wise minds and our capacity to, to hold the good and the bad in equal measure. And so what we're going to do is we're going to build our capacity to take in beauty and good states, to build the muscle of awareness so we can stay present for the harder states. So what I do at the beginning of every class, and so one of the one of the simple ways I, I tell students to think about it is... Blue would be more of an expansive deactivated state and red is a more sympathetic activated state. So I always think, think of things, It just it's an easy way to remember. And Steve Hoskins, who is was a somatic experiencing practitioner, came up with that blue red model. And um, but people use very different names. Some, some people just say activated states to a deactivated state. But it's just simple way to think blue and red. So I tell students, I want you to start noticing the blue moments in your lives and to spend time with it, and to notice your nervous system expanding when you're in those states, and to see how long you can stay there, right? And so life is always going to have a lot of red in it. It's going to have a lot of sympathetic states. It's just part of being human in the world. And we want to sandwich those red states between states of blue. So if, it, say, if for example, a student is on their way on the bus, going to their practicum setting, they're working with a very vulnerable population, they're anxious, they're working with a kid that's super traumatized, um, and they feel a lot of grief about this kid that they're working with and concern. There's a lot of red, even in their thought process, you know, in they're anxiety, they're becoming therapists, they might be feel very anxious. Am I good enough? Am I doing okay? All of that can feel very red, sympathetic, high-activated, a high activated state inside. And I say, you want to sandwich it between states of blue. So you want to look outside on the bus, notice something beautiful in your environment and spend some time with that while acknowledging that there's also this red charge moving through your system.
0: Wow, I love the way you likened it to a muscle, to rebuilding a muscle. Exactly, It's
1: it's a muscle. And then also just when there is a good moment, you want to think, I want to take this in like I'm taking a multivitamin, right? When there's a moment of beauty, you know, when you're cuddling with your kids and you smell the top of their head, and it just feels delicious, Mm -hmm. you know, to spend time there. You know, when you're looking into your partner's eyes and you're feeling love, Mm -hmm. enjoy that moment as long as you can. You know, to stretch out the moments of yummy, if you're eating something delicious, like Put all your attention there. You know, attention is really a form of love. And when we put our attention towards beauty and to goodness, it will make our lives better. And the research is really supporting that. So when there's a moment of blue or beauty, of goodness, of yummy, in any form that it might be a beautiful scene, seeing the leaves, looking at the, the bark of a tree, spe- seeing a snail, mm. spend time there and support your children also spending time there. It will do them a world of good for their development, for their, their, their building nervous systems, for our own nervous systems. The more we spend time with the good, we're literally toning our vagus nerve. And I can talk a little bit about the research about that. It's literally when we build the good, we're, we're working this muscle of bringing our well, this nerve of bringing our vagus nerve into a higher toned state
0: wow wow, that's incredible so I just want to feed back to you I have totally gone into a blue state and <laughs> really just <laughs> rank in everything that you just shared there that feels so simple and so nourishing
1: it's and, so I, and
0: something yes. anyone can access yes exactly yes.
1: exactly yes. The, the problem is is that When we're in those higher sympathetic states, we just move on. We don't stop ourselves. We're just so agitated. And there has to be this this kind of conscious, this is like having a glass of water or like a nutritious lunch. I need to slow down and notice beauty. We have a huge impact on each other too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about settling. So when we settle ourselves, we're going to settle each other.
0: Thank you. Hugh, that feels so, so good, what you just shared. So look, you've been also talking about another piece to that research, the gratitude piece. So can you share a little bit about that?
1: Well, there, so there's been some really wonderful studies that just showing the benefits of gratitude across multiple domains, um, and even in our own relationships. There was one study I read that even when we just think a positive thought about our partner, we don't even have to tell them, and it improves the relationship. Of course, it's heightened when we like actively tell them, but noticing the good in others and hanging out with that inside is also another way we can feel this deactivated expansive state, right? Because we're the people around us, it's very easy to notice the parts that are irritating or frustrating, but we also need to train our minds to hang out with the parts that we are like so grateful for because they're often, we often just take them for granted. But when we notice them, there's an impact on the relationship. When we notice them and we say them, there's even a further impact on the relationship long-term. And the other part, so that's one little study on gratitude. There's also research showing it improves friendships. And one study I read that when people met, I think for 30 days, wrote down three things that they felt grateful for every day. One cohort did that. One cohort wrote down um, news events. And I think another cohort wrote down negative news events, although I have to recheck. So they did this for 30 days and then they stopped. And at the three-month mark and then at the six-month mark, I think even up to two years, the gratitude group had less doctor visits and had less depression and anxiety. And so again there's this very clear manifestation. And one thing I when I work a lot with families, I tell them at dinner time, talk about three things that you feel grateful for about your day and share them as a group. You know, when my son was younger, we used to do like one one good thing and one hard thing about our days, mm-hmm. and now we, we do the three good things mm-hmm. because the hard things will come up anyways and we need to again this idea of like build the good. And training kids to notice the good in their lives is really helpful and important. Yes. Yes. I mean, and
0: then tied right into, so gratitude sounds like, again, it's
1: another awe
0: process, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Again,
0: for just noticing the way that those wows directly impact you. So seeing them as less of a, an external wow, you know, like you said, look at the bark on the tree, you know the the blue in the sky it's really right. okay look at how that air feels so good when i breathe it into my lungs exactly
1: exactly exactly now the other study that's super interesting is around the vagus nerve and i won't go into the detail right now but basically generating loving thoughts towards others even people that are are complicated in your life tones this the vag, it improves our vagal tone Um, And that was a study that was really interesting that showed that when we generate loving thoughts to each other and to even people that are complicated in our lives, we have improved vagal tone over time.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. Bonnie, this is, you know, this is an extension, I guess, of that conversation that we had when we first met. And so much of what you said is puts language on some of the pieces that I have felt, I guess, as, you know, part of what I do in my private work. Um, But it's, it's quite it's like the complementary piece to what I focus on and Mm so the space where I get to with an awful lot of people is that the place of like okay let's get real about what's really happening and you Mm -hmm. can't block that stuff out and how do you what do you need so that you can process it so that you can relate what went on in your in your family history that like Right. You know, it means that you don't want to go there or you can't go there, or, you know, so to kind of helping people unravel the processing piece and release that stuff from their body to be more present. But everything that you have just shared is like, okay, it's uh, the, some really great practical tips for the how. You know, so for the, how do we actually, everybody's talking about mindfulness and presence and, but an awful lot of people live these lives and they're like, I don't want to be more mindful to this. Yeah. Like yeah. pass me the bottle of wine and put the yeah, television exactly. on. I want to forget about this yeah. life that I have. Well, yeah. it's about attunement, right? So tune exactly. in to actually step outside of your world for a minute or even outside of the box that you've put your world in.
1: Mm-hmm. to notice
0: all of the beautiful things that do happen in your day mm-hmm. and all the beautiful things that do happen in your environment. And that doesn't mean ignoring all the other stuff, but it means through the noticing of those things, you're actually training your nervous system to be more able to process the hard stuff as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Is, yep.
0: is that what you're, exactly. is that what you're saying? Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. beautiful. So, uh, uh, what to the, uh, uh, the two birds with one stone, I guess. I'm sure there's a better analogy, but it seems to, you know, focusing or giving space and time to awe and gratitude yes. is also going to make it easier to give space and time to all of the hard stuff.
1: Exactly, exactly. And again, this is like a muscle, like even I teach this, I think about it, I read about it and I have to remind myself to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's really, it, it, it takes time for us to change. right? And to build these new things into our, our way of inhabiting the world. But it's just these little steps towards this, towards beauty, towards goodness. You
0: know. Beautiful. And that, what you have just said there too, compassion is such an important piece, isn't it? Yes. You know, give yourself really, you have not been doing, life has been hard. You've been, you know, maybe kind of got a raw deal in some, in some ways. So just be really kind and compassionate with yourself that you're not right. immediately going to wake up and go, okay, oh, t- today is the day for awe and wonder. Well, <laughs> Right, so start, so start right. small. So can right. you tell me, are there, are there any practical resources out there? And maybe, maybe through you know, some of your own writings, can people access this play that you've been talking about? Are there practical resources that people could- Well,
1: the, the, the play, we are, the play we are, we're just finishing the, the final edit, um, and we've done it in English and French, but that's, that's the play that's more about the effects of trauma on the nervous system. Um, so that film should be out in the spring. And um, what's we, it called, Bonnie? It's called You Arrive
0: you arrive and where, where can people access that? We're we'll able
1: to access that online. There's going right. to be a website that hosts it, but it will be available online. Um, okay. the, the awe and gratitude research, we're going to be starting to tour it. Maybe we can even come to Kingston um, and do a show. I've got these lovely students that are working with me on that. So we'd love to come. And, and in that workshop, we kind of, we're we're trying to also develop these innovative ways of learning. So by combining storytelling and then theory and then experiential exercises of how can we give people a chance to kind of have these kind of cognitive experiences but then an emotional experience through storytelling Mm -hmm. and then kind of live it in their own bodies so they can really land this research Mm -hmm. in a more of an embodied way. And I've become really interested in teaching more embodied methods that are not just cognitive but more like learning through experiencing, learning through knowing. So that's one thing that we're developing. Um, So we'll be traveling with that and showing it. So the answer is yes, when you want to come to Kingston, if you need (laughs) need a local person to help you set this up here, yes, give me a ring. We'd love to come. We'd love to come. But even just Googling awe and gratitude research, people can access tons of amazing studies out there. Okay.
0: Okay. And so if you had one tip, so somebody wants to go away now, you have one tip. Is it, you know, let's say you're feeling, you're feeling kind of bad. You're not really feeling very grateful for anything. You're not feeling like anything is particularly amazing. Is there, I mean, for me, it literally is the word, wow. Is there, is there something that you can do, that you can say, that you can think a way that you can look, you know, you've talked, talked about the embodiment of these things, a way that you can hold right. your body, a right. breath you can take. What would you recommend?
1: one thing is really important is this idea of orientation. I I could have talked about that more, but there's just a couple of things I'll leave you with that. When people look around, they're actually activating the vagus nerve in their spine. When we orientate, we turn our heads. We're literally activating it. So like to look around and notice what is beautiful in your vision. What can you see? And then wiggle your toes gps your body in space and time notice where you are and try to find something beautiful or pleasing and sometimes it can feel a little bit like mining for gold mm. but get good at starting to mine for beauty and then it will the muscle will grow and also with gratitude when we feel gratitude for something we can immediately also feel guilt or like we think about and may, maybe our child and feel grateful then we'll feel oh we haven't been spending enough time or guilty <sighs> to try when you have that the good and then the red come online that surge of sympathetic to say right now i'm not going to build the sympathetic i'm going to notice the good and keep my attention away from guilt and shame and just stay with beauty for a few seconds so that would be my like take-home message that
0: is a that's a fantastic practical suggestion simply looking around i mean we spend so much time Focus so narrowly on a very small screen in front of our spaces, exactly. in front of our faces, yeah. not looking around at all, simply the act of looking around, orienting ourselves in time and space, wiggling the exactly. toes, even exactly. trying to find something pleasing. If you don't exactly. feel awestruck by it, just something pleasing to the and, senses.
1: And if people are really more interested in reading more about the nervous system, a lot of what I've been talking about, about activation and deactivation and trauma comes from Peter Levine's work, um, and he's done... And Pat Ogden, but mainly Peter Levine, and then also Stephen Porges has really talked about the, 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 the details of the nervous system and the, the ventral, the vagus nerve, and there's amazing stuff online if people are interested in, in learning more.
0: Amazing. That's wonderful. Bonnie, this is fantastic. I mean, just such a great conversation about how to really um, clean up your internal environment, live in a more sustainable way, cultivating all of that good blue stuff, and then be in a position to actually actively create something new in our external environment.
1: That's right. It starts in our own backyard and we got to start within.
0: Beautiful. Bonnie, yeah. thank you so much. This was great. I, I, I have a feeling I may be wanting to talk to you again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been super fun. It's, it's, I love talking about the stuff. Yeah. I find it profound.
0: Yeah, the work that you're doing is, is really, really incredible. What um, a blessed group of young people that you're, that you're training, mm-hmm. and just the kind of um, therapists the world needs. So that's mm-hmm. great. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you, Bonnie. And thank you for listening. And remember, if hope and possibility has a color, that color is blue. So until next time, wishing lots of blue for you.